This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I've heard so much about the Democratic get out the vote effort in Georgia. The way Stacey Abrams worked for years to register voters and turn them out. The way that infrastructure clicked into place for Joe Biden. The way the party hopes it will keep clicking for the Democratic candidates for Senate, who are headed for a January runoff. But I called up Rusty Paul because I wanted to know more about the Republicans' approach to these elections. And you know what? He was pretty blunt. It's not about changing hearts and minds at this point. Rusty is a party guy, as in he used to run the Republican Party in Georgia. Now he's a mayor just outside Atlanta. But he's also this pragmatic kibitzer. Like he looks at the hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on advertising in this Senate race. And he says he can't help but think that's a great opportunity for someone. It would be a great time to own a rural radio station or TV outlet uh, because... Uh, Just watch those ad dollars roll in. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're spending all kinds of money. And it's, <laughs> it's OPM, other people's money. That's the best kind. That's it. Coming from, coming from other places besides Georgia. A lot of these ads are negative, really negative. And in fact, when I look at how Republican Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue are turning out their voters, negativity seems to be the whole premise. It's really designed to anger and scare the base to make sure that they show back up on January 5th. But this negativity, it isn't just directed at the Democrats. These candidates are also taking aim at their own party. When Joe Biden won this state, both senators called on the Republican Secretary of State to resign in disgrace. After their own Republican governor certified the election, they signed on to a lawsuit that would have overturned it. Rusty says, from the outside, it might look like the Republican Party in his state is blowing itself up. But he's got that pragmatic streak. He says Kelly Leffler and David Perdue are just doing what they have to, riling people up. Well, that, that's what politics is. It, it, a campaign is about the most practical, pragmatic form of communication uh, known to humankind uh, because it, it, it deals with human nature as it is. They don't try and change human nature. They just try and, uh, and take advantage of how people react. Uh, you don't think that's cynical? Uh, it, yeah, of course it's cynical, but it's also how people react to information. You know, it's it's about getting people back to the polls at all costs. And that's what that's what and, and both parties are doing it right now. Today on the show, Rusty says Republicans don't think they can win by being nice. So instead, they're being brutal. But he wonders what's going to be left once the election's all over. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. Part of why I wanted to talk to Rusty is that 
he helped create the Republican Party that's slugging its way through this Senate election. But it's not like he's precious about how he and his colleagues ended up here. He says he realized things were changing back in 2016. One of my banker friends said he was voting for Trump. And I said, why? And he said, because I believe he'll go to Washington and shake things up. And I think Washington needs to be shaken up. A banker, you know, that's really what's driven Trump. That's Trumpism is a failure by both parties to deliver on the things that they've talked about uh, to their constituents. Uh, And uh, so Trump came in, said, look, I'm going to go up there and fight for you. I'm not part of the establishment. I got no interest in being part of the establishment. Uh, and, And that's why he's got this very deep, strong loyalty among people who feel that the world has changed so rapidly and they've been left out of it. And we finally got somebody who speaks for us. Well, I mean, I may, I may have been making assumptions, but I assumed you voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020. You know, I get to, that's one of the great things about the secret ballot. You know, even my wife doesn't know how I vote. I, I vote predominantly Republican, but I, I don't know of a single election that I voted for every Republican uh, because some of them I know too well. Uh, I vote for the people who I think are going to be in the best interest of the country. Uh, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. Rusty is a second-term mayor of Sandy Springs, Georgia. Technically, this is a nonpartisan position, but Sandy Springs was comfortably Republican for a long time. Now it's one of those suburban communities where Democrats are making serious inroads. Rusty says, as that's happened, his own party adjusted. It's changed dramatically. It's much more of a blue-collar party today, working-class, blue-collar high school uh, education or maybe an associate's degree, highly educated people have shifted over and voting uh, Democratic in these suburban uh, areas around the northern part of Atlanta. So you've had a wholesale transition from the party of Reagan now to the party of Trump. And Hmm. that's happened in an unbelievably short period of time. It's not just Donald Trump that's occurred, though that's accelerated it. There's also this rural urban-suburban divide, which is why uh, two years ago, a number of the House members uh, in uh, these suburban areas, Republicans, uh, were wiped out. Including in yours, because Lucy McBath won that seat. Yep, yep. So, you know, uh, I'm hoping after January 5th, we can start picking up the pieces and we can put back at least part of that coalition, but it's going to be a challenge because once you voted in about three elections, which you consider 2016, 2018, 2020, three elections uh, in these suburban areas, and you've begun to vote Democratic uh, in three elections, it quickly becomes a habit. That's what happened in when when the Republicans took over. It's a gateway drug. It's, well, it's uh, it's what what Reagan did uh, in the 1980s. uh, And you know, he started, those folks voted for him twice, and then they voted for Bush, and then it became just who they were. Well, you've been the head of the Republican Party in Georgia, and mm-hmm. as a councilman, and, and now you're a mayor. So I was a state senator. I, you know, I, you look at my resume, you think I can't hold a job, so. <laughs> well, I just wonder where that leaves someone like you, who's been with the party such a long time, and is now mayor of an area that has been traditionally 
a Republican stronghold was actually your town, my understanding, was created basically by the Republican Party to yeah. mm-hmm. establish yeah. like a, a place to grow leaders, basically, and, and have power. Right. It's challenging. I, I was asked uh, by one reporter, do you feel homeless in the Republican Party? I said, I don't feel homeless, but I feel I'm, I'm struggling to pay the rent. When state Republicans get together in Georgia, are there camps, would you say it that way? <laughs> yeah, but that's not new. I'm, I mean, the, the, the labels <laughs> the labels may be different this time, but uh, this combativeness this uh, is is part of the DNA of, of Georgia Republicans. It's 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 part of who we've been from when we were out of power. And the only thing you could win was a local, you know, a party office. And we would fight to the death over who the precinct chairman was. The divisions were just as deep, just as emotional. So the the fighting is not new. We do it in primaries all the time. And somehow or the other, by the time we get to the general election, we've been able to put it back together. I think we'll get it back together by January 5th. You've probably heard about Georgia Republicans intramural squabbling. It all came to a head a few weeks back. That's when one Republican elections official, a guy named Gabe Sterling, held a press conference where he emotionally spoke about how hard it was to do his job while receiving threats from those who insist, despite evidence to the contrary, that the election was stolen. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up, and if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. For what it's worth, Rusty knows Gabe Sterling and Gabe's boss, the Secretary of State. And Rusty says he believes in the legitimacy of the presidential election. But he knows other people disagree with him and that issues the rest of the country put to bed on November 3rd. For the time being, they are still alive and well in Georgia. Like, take mail-in voting. After President Trump spent months attacking the legitimacy of vote-by-mail, some Georgia Republicans have outlined a plan to restrict it, despite the fact that absentee ballots contributed to a record-high turnout this November. There's been a lot of criticism of, of the absentee ballot process, and the absentee ballot process that was utilized does not. And this, this is one of the challenges of those who think the election may have been tainted was Georgia's absentee ballot law is very narrowly drawn. You have to certify that you're going to be away from your polling district from between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. There are a few other narrowly drawn reasons why you can uh, use an absentee ballot, or if you're a senior citizen, you can vote absentee. Georgia's absentee ballot law was not designed to be a mail-in ballot, but the parties have used absentee for mail-in ballots from time in memoriam. When I ran for the state Senate in 2000, we used absentee ballots. We sent them out to all of the people who indicated in our polling that they were supporting me. And my campaign manager came to me the morning of the election and said, you've got a thousand votes in uh, already. Uh, And how do we know that? Because he had been tracking the people we sent the ballots to who said they were supporters of mine. And we, um, uh, he then went down to the courthouse and checked off against the list to see who had voted absentee and knew that we had a thousand absentee ballots that we had sent out that had been voted. 
And I won that election by right around a thousand votes. So that was the difference in my election. We've been doing that in Georgia forever. So this is not new, but it is kind of a perversion of the law. It's never really been been enforced. And I suspect what you're going to see when the General Assembly comes back in in January, they're going to tighten that back up and make sure that absentee ballots are what the state law intended for them to be. But right now, both parties are sending out absentee ballot uh, information. Uh, I'm getting little QRC codes or whatever they're called uh, sent to me in mailers and say, scan this and we'll send you a ballot coming from Republicans, same way with the Democrats. So right now, it, you know, state law be damned, we're, we're going to use it to our advantage if we can. I mean, you, you're telling the story about how you won partially because of absentee ballots. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. really important for turnout for everyone. Yes. And yet you're saying you're suspecting your party is going to go back in there and restrict this access. I think they're going to reinforce what the state law actually says. I think they're going to I think they will start requiring absentee ballots to be used as the law is currently uh, drawn up and as it is intended. Sure, but it's, it sounds a little bit like cutting off your nose to spite your face, where you're restricting this one way of voting, which well, has benefited the party, too. Don't, don't take my arguments as something that I, uh, that I necessarily subscribe to, but I'm just giving you the reasons why, uh, if, if, if you have a significant portion of the electorate which believes that this particular form of voting uh, was used to either steal the election, to abuse the process, then you have to react to that as a legislator. If your constituents are telling you in significant numbers, in a lot of these rural areas particularly, their legislators are being told, we believe it was stolen. You guys need to go to Atlanta in January and fix this. Then I think they're going to make some changes. I don't know what what those specific changes will be, I would guess they'll put some teeth into the existing law. That even if it means your party loses races. Yeah, you you know if you've got a process that that people. Here's the biggest danger of what's going on right now, is that people lose trust in our democratic system. If you lose trust in the democratic system, everything falls apart. So you've got to make sure that there is confidence that the process is fair and open and that everything is done according to the rules uh, and that everybody plays by the same set of rules. Uh, And that's the biggest problem we've got right now is the undermining of confidence and trust in our democratic system. But instead of reassuring people that the system isn't rigged, your two Senate candidates right now are doing the opposite. They're saying the system is rigged and it's because of our own party. So I don't know who's fanning the flames of distrust. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot on both sides. I'm not I, I, I think everybody comes to I don't think anybody comes to this debate with clean hands. Uh, but uh, be that as it may, I'm just I'm just making a prediction. Uh, I'm not saying that it's necessarily my particular point of view, but uh, I think that you'll see the legislature tighten absentee voting, uh, and, and it, because it has become mail-in voting. If you're going to have mail-in voting, then you should pass a law that allows mail-in voting. And maybe that's what the debate should be, should Georgia have mail-in voting. Uh, but if you're going to have absentee ballots, uh, 
absentee means you're absent from the your polling district that day. So, you know, let's 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 call it what it is if you're going to use it. More what next coming up. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Talking to Rusty, it seemed to me his biggest question about next month's election was the same one I have. Just who is going to cast a ballot? And will turnout mean the rift in the Republican Party gets deeper? Or will the candidates find a way to appeal to Trump's coalition and their more traditional supporters in the suburbs? So don't these candidates, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, need the voters in your area because they're the people who seem to be slipping away? Yeah, they do. But there's a there's a little silver lining to this uh, cloudy forecast. Uh, what's interesting is there were, appear to be about 100,000 Republicans who voted for Biden, but came back and voted in the Senate race and the rest of the ballot. They split their ticket. Yeah, they, they voted against President Trump and uh, then returned home going down uh, the uh, ballot. So there was a huge shift coming back down ballot back to Republicans. And if there's a, uh, a silver lining for Republicans, it's in that 100,000 or so Republicans who objected to the president for whatever reasons, and uh, but came back and voted for uh, Purdue. If you combine the votes that Collins and Leffler got against Warnock, which is a dangerous process, but you can it, it, it makes for great intellectual conversation. Uh, <laughs> you uh, you know you feel pretty good about that race. But help uh, me figure something out. Okay, which is you're saying that Trump was very polarizing in mm-hmm. your state. Yep, and a whole lot of people said I do not want a second helping of that. Right. But I do like my Republicans, as you said. Like I want to come home to them. Right. So. Why are these candidates hooking themselves so securely to the president? Isn't there an argument that they should be appealing more to those 100,000 voters who, you know, really wanted them? (laughs) Well, remember, Loeffler and Purdue are one bad tweet from disaster. What do you mean when you say that? Well, the president sends out, he starts attacking them like he's attacked Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, Jeff Duncan, uh, and that hardcore Trump base doesn't show back up. Uh, it's over. So uh, they've got to, they've made the calculation. They've got to have those votes and hope that those folks who may, who voted for them the first round knowing that they had so closely allied themselves with the president. It didn't seem to discourage him from voting for them in November. So you can make the calculus that I can't afford to lose those hard Trump supporters. So I'm going to make sure I secure those votes and hope and and pray that the voters who voted for us the first time around, in spite of our connection to the president, will come back and do it the second time. 
But it sounds like they're campaigning on fear. And I don't know if that's ever like a characteristic I want out of a leader. Oh, man, if you're not a candidate running scared to death, you're not a successful candidate. Fear is the big (laughs) driver. I mean, when I run for office, my biggest fear is I'm going to lose. Not the thrill of winning. It's the fear of losing that motivates candidates. Uh, the embarrassment of having explained to your friends and neighbors why you lost. That's the fear is fear is in the heart of every candidate running. Hmm. I wonder if in some ways, January 5th for you, it's it's about control in Washington, of course. But it'll also be about control of that Georgia Republican Party. And, hey, did this work? And which camp here is really the one that's in charge? You know, rebuilding Humpty Dumpty is something that we've Georgia Republicans have gotten used to over the last 50 years. And uh, I I think in the end, we'll be able to do it at least to some degree. You're not going to be able to, there'll always be cracks and blemishes and pieces that are missing. Uh, But uh, I'm hopeful that the party will begin to refocus on these suburban areas on the north side of, of Metro Atlanta that we've lost and are continuing to lose. And start at least start not making it tougher for those of us who are trying to survive politically in these areas uh, and, and, and do some things to help draw all the elements of our party back together. Is everybody who's been voting the last three years uh, uh, going to come back for voting the last three years for Democrats? No. But uh, I think based on the results, there were a lot of these suburban people who went back and voted for their local local legislator and their local senator uh, that voted against Donald Trump. And you start with that group and uh, try and build things back. But it sounds like you're saying right now, Humpty Dumpty's on the floor in a million pieces. And yep. it won't be till after January 5th that we'll be able to start gluing him back together. Uh, well, well, we'll get some of him back together before January 5th. We'll get a good bit of him back together. I think you'll draw the folks who understand what the stakes are in this election. I think you'll bring them back. Trying to build a longer term relationship with some of the voters that we've lost uh, is going to take a lot more work uh, and a lot more time. Rusty Paul, I am so grateful for you taking the time. No problem. You know, anybody who knows me will tell you that I'll never lie to you. I'll tell you what I think. I may be wrong, but I'm not going to lie to you. Rusty Paul is the mayor of Sandy Springs, Georgia. And that's the show. Before we go, you have still got time to call us and tell us how you are bidding farewell to 2020. Because this year, I am so ready for it to be over. And I've got a feeling you are too. So give us a call. Let us know what you're doing. 202-888-2588. This episode of What Next was produced by Mary Wilson, Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz with help from Franny Kelly. This show gets a little bit better each day with the help of Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I am Mary Harris. If you want to see my Christmas tree, go check it out. It's on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. But meanwhile, I'll be back with more What Next on Monday. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.